Hi, so this is Vincent. I'm the uh, membership chair for the Canadian Club of Calgary, and you're, thank you for joining us here for our first podcast chatting about hosting the Bank of Canada's newest governor, Tiff Macklem. We join with multiple partners throughout Canada to host this incredible speaker. We joined hands with the Canadian Club of Toronto, Canadian Club of Ottawa, and the Circles de Canadiens in Montreal. So we've teamed up to hopefully host this incredible speaker. And now we're now that we've listened to it together, hopefully you've caught it in the previous episode. We're gonna start chatting with Deborah, Andrea, and I on the subject of Governor Tiff Macklem and his address to the nation. Basically, we're going to go through some four or five clips and give you our opinions and thoughts on what he's brought out and examine the various issues of public interest, public concern, on the points he raises in his address. So please, let's just get right into it. More confidence that we will achieve the inflation target. And as I said, the inflation target is really a beacon to guide our policy. By grounding our actions in our framework, we will always be working toward bringing the economy near capacity with full employment. So that was Tiff Macklin speaking on the subject of keeping inflation low and moving the Canadian economy towards having full employment. Deborah, why does inflation matter? Oh, happy to talk about inflation. Uh, <laughs> it matters because... I think it really dictates how people feel comfortable to spend, to invest, to look into purchasing houses and cars and things that um, we need. And I think when inflation rates are in, I guess, just not ideal, I guess our economy just doesn't work very well. Canadians are more reluctant to spend. We end up not having the same amount of money flowing. So yeah, I think it's just helpful to keep inflation rates at a place where Things can sort of carry on as usual, even in the midst of kind of the craziness that is right now. Um, so as best as possible, it sounds like the Bank of Canada is working to work with the current difficulty and strains in the economy and the workforce to make sure that things can continue business as usual as best as they can right now. I think, I think one of the other things, too, is what, what you said about that, Deborah, is it kind of you don't want people sitting on their money. Like you want people to feel comfortable continuing, continuing on like buying houses or starting businesses and everything. And that all goes hand in hand with long-term economic growth as well. And that's tough. I mean, right now with the inflation rate being as low as it is, uh, it's not promising for long-term economic growth and people are sitting on their money and it's going to be really hard to go back to business as usual uh, for a long time, I think. Well, like you highlight, you both highlight something really important there. One of the elements of the speech that I quite enjoyed was the discussion of how inflation, low inflation specifically, actually allows the gears of the economy to actually rotate and move. Like there's a level of inflation that you want so that it provides that little bit of extra oil, that little bit of extra juice to keep things rolling. I think we'll delve into this a little later surrounding negative inflation, but it's one of those elements of you know, little inflation, great. A lot of inflation, really bad. And uh, it's been bank policy for almost 25 years to specifically look at how do we keep inflation in a very narrow set of numbers between, you know, between 1% and 2%. So to maximize that long-term economic growth while also you know, safeguarding large pieces of the economy. 
Yeah, for sure. And it's especially when something like a global pandemic happens, it's you can't keep keep it within 1% of itself. Like that's impossible. And I like what Deborah said too about keeping business as usual. I mean, if you think back to the uh, recession in 2008, like these things that happen, like they can happen overnight and it can bounce, bounce inflation rates up and down by a lot more than 1%. <laughs> so it's tough. It's tough to keep that business as usual, especially when that's what the inflation rate relies on is business as usual. Like one of the things that struck out to me during the entire speech and this part included is the level of calm decorum he's bringing to this. It's uh, we are in the midst of a global pandemic and just yeah. to his calm, sultry tones. His confidence inspired a confidence in me. <laughs> kind of question like, oh yeah, are things as bad as they are? And I think, of course, you know, we have to sort of back away and, and look at how things are objectively and things are bad for lots of people and it's tough times. And I don't know if anyone went into 2020 expecting life to be like this, but it was really nice to see. And I think this is what we need from like our leaders, whether they're political or just cultural or celebrity, whatever, or, or experts in different fields is sort of the sense of calm because I think it helps us remain calm. Yeah, I have to agree with you, like watching that. Um, I have to say too, watching it, he didn't use much jargon. He made it very easy to understand. And yeah, his calm demeanor was almost, like, I was like, he, that's a guy that knows what he's doing. <laughs> that's what we want in that position right now. Exactly, <laughs> yeah. Total CPI is weighted to reflect the buying patterns of the average Canadian household. In normal times, for example, Canadians spend a lot more on gasoline than they do on alcohol, so gasoline has a larger weight in the index. But these aren't normal times. Because of the pandemic, Canadians are spending much less on gasoline and air travel and more on things like food purchases in stores. And until very recently, we weren't spending anything on haircuts. Fortunately, here in Ottawa, you can now get a haircut, and lucky for, for all of us, I got one last week. But more seriously, the implication is that the CPI isn't fully reflecting the current people's current inflationary experience. Who says bankers can't tell jokes? <laughs> he's calm and he's funny. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I look at that, but the, you know, the core thing he's raising is inflation is based on a basket of goods and it's some total and then the measurement of how much those basket goods cost, and it increases inflation. So if the core basket of goods fundamentally alters, is inflation as good as a measure as it has been before? Or do we have to adapt for it? Well, he raised gasoline purchases versus food purchases versus haircut purchases. I look at it and I'm going, okay, I know one thing that's increased in my budgetary you know, allotment, all purchases. So, you know, for COVID, it's, it's, it's been a bit of a shift. I think that that CPI, when he was talking about it, I actually, I found it so interesting because you, you understand the relationship, like you said, Vincent, about the basket of goods and how that affects um, inflation. But even when he mentioned haircuts, I was like, that's, that's so, and alcohol, like that's so, that's something that you wouldn't think would be a world that we'd live in at all. And I actually, took the liberty of searching up some funny CPI <laughs> inflations due to post-COVID. Um, and one of them was can tuna 
canned tuna went up almost 14% after COVID, one of the biggest inflations after COVID. I didn't even know people liked canned tuna that much, but, and gasoline went down obviously during COVID. So when you compare the two, you're like, is canned tuna really like the biggest CPI? Like that's such a huge reflection of the times we're living in. I think just silly kind of trivial inflations. If you can make CPI trivial and funny, <laughs> I don't know if you can, but so interesting because if, if someone was to ask me what had gone up most if, if I based it off of like my anecdotal understanding of Amazon I'd be like oh it would be Lysol and like toilet paper especially like back in March it seemed like that was the, the thing that was highest in demand and I know we're going to talk about supply and demand a little bit later but yeah I think it's so interesting because when he speaks about CPI I think it speaks to something that's very sociological that mm -hmm. I wouldn't necessarily connect like banking with people's habits and consumer purchasing and so on but there's so many common threads that I think, as you mentioned, Andrea, like so much has changed. No one would have expected tuna to go up this year. No one would have thought that we'd be seeing the kinds of shifts that we're seeing. And so my main takeaway from that uh, clip is really just what a challenge for people that are in this industry right now to sort of try to, to try to sort of balance things out when there's so much influx and there's so much uncertainty. And yeah, who would have thought that people would be driving way less? Who would have thought that like airplanes across the country, across the world would be grounded for all of these months? Um, and how are they able to adjust to make sure that our pricing still remains sort of, yeah, that CPI reflects what people are buying. And yeah, my main thought is kudos to the folks that work in these industries and oh, yeah. are able to figure it all I, out. I think too, with you said it being like, so CPI being so sociological, like you can't predict human behavior during global pandemics, like who, like you said, Deborah, who would have thought that toilet paper would have been off the, like people were acting like it was <laughs> like an unrenewable resource almost. Like who would have thought that that would have happened or even canned tuna going up and the governor said, it's just, it's not reflecting what our world is right now. It's not reflecting that canned tuna is up 14% and gasoline is down. So yeah, I, I mean, like you said, Deborah, I really admire people that are working in that because it's how, how do you predict that sociological behavior almost? Mm -hmm. It's not just in the, uh, the actual package of goods on the front end where it's the point of purchase. Throughout the entire supply chain, just looking at you know, oil futures for the last six months, there was a minute there where we had negative 40 barrel cost. And I, I looked at that and I went, Oh my goodness. So it basically meant for a solid minute, people were paying folks just to hold oil and just, you know, put it into containers, have it off of uh, the coast of Texas and all yeah. the various other elements. And it's just, that drives up costs and a whole segue of you know, numerous things down the line because yeah. the whole system from extraction to midstream to production, and then actually putting the products in front of the people. And it's, it's just that element of fundamental chaos in the supply chain. I look at that and I go, oh, hot diggity. What does this mean for the long-term viability of some products that get you know, created and shipped and moved around the world? And how does that shift on how do we actually manage futures and our generalized supply? chain of products going throughout the, you know, the, the continent. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really good point because yeah, of course we're, we're seeing resources affected and sort of the goods at the end, but we're also, obviously there's going to be trickle up, I guess, effects on all of the jobs along that supply chain. Right. So 
um, even going back to like airports, like the planes that are grounded mean that pilots aren't flying, but then also, you know, people that work at the airports aren't working and, um, you know, the people on the ground and the TSA or security folks, I don't know what the Canadian equivalent of TSA is actually, but all of the, yeah, all of these jobs are connected to these goods, even the tuna, like I'm sure there are people that are yeah. fishing and getting it with. And, and so maybe their jobs are a little bit more secure right now, but other jobs are not. And so I think mm -hmm. that links back to obviously our economy and inflation and consumers ability to purchase based on if they have a job or they don't. So there's so many, I guess, like connected impacts. Oh yeah. I think, um, I'm not sure where I read this, but I read, um, and maybe you guys know about this, but one of the, I want to say it was Imperial. They were giving away, when oil was like 40 a barrel, they were giving away their oil to like as a charitable donations to um, organizations and stuff because it was cheaper for them to give it away than sit on it because it was so cheap. And they had this whole um, promotion or campaign kind of where they're like, oh, we're doing more charitable stuff. And I was like, oh, that's, that's great. Like Imperial Oil is a huge company based in Calgary huge huge campus like in south calgary and um yeah i read i read more into it and i was like this seems <laughs> backwards it's uh it's strange days for our economy let's move on to clip three the policy rate is now at its effective lower bound of 25 basis points some central banks have taken policy rates below zero. We feel that bringing rates into negative territory, negative territory could lead to distortions in the behavior of financial institutions. However, we have a number of other tools we can use to help stimulate demand. Various places in the European Union has taken on uh, negative rates. Netherlands, uh, some German banks. Mr. Trump has even championed the issue of uh, negative interest rates for his economy. So what do you guys think about the concept of negative interest rate? So I had to read a little bit into this. <laughs> I think it's, I think it's sort of a short term bandaid almost. Um, so essentially how I understood it was people, when prices go down, people kind of, and businesses kind of wait to see if the price will go lower. So they sit on their money, so they're not spending their money, they're not stimulating the economy at all. So then banks make negative interest rates, so it makes it more expensive to sit on your money. But for mortgages, let's say, or for savings account, that's very problematic because you're just, you're not getting any money back, you're paying to hold your money there. So I think it kind of is a backwards, in the long in the long run, I don't think it's sustainable for long-term economic growth. However, I'm not an economist, so. <laughs> but you 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 have a public policy background. What are your thoughts? I'm also not an economist. Um, <laughs> you can say what I thought when I first heard about negative interest rates, which was while watching this, was wow, that sounds like a really great concept for like student loans. Yeah. The idea of interest going, or I guess the, you know, the initial money decreasing is sort of how it sounds. But yeah, I think Andrea's painted my understanding of it as well is that it's, and I think ultimately the same reason that CERB was initiated as quickly as it was and all these other sort of methods 
and tactics, I guess, is, is to make sure that money continues to flow through our economy because it's, it's no good when everyone just sort of sits on it and you can't grow an economy on sort of hoarded money. And so, and then also we, we are, and I think Tiff mentioned this, is, mentions this later in his speech that we are an economy that's based on credit and mm-hmm. a lot of our Western economies are based on credit. And so we need, we need people to be making use of credit and using it. And again, moving money around, that's sort of how we sustain the way that our society works. So yeah, it seems like the, what's needed. Um, and of course, this decision is being made by people with far more expertise than me. But yeah, it does sound like it's sort of a short-term solution. Wouldn't be possible over the course of like decades by any means, if we're looking to grow an economy. It's like he, he touches base into that. It's uh, uh, The thing I picked out most from his statement was the cross-economy impact of a negative interest rate. Some folks just don't know the impact. But one key element of that is over the long term, the 50-year lookout, how does a negative interest rate, would would it eventually whittle away at points of asset and valuation within these various banks and within our credit systems? And at the end of the day, it might lead to, again, as Deborah, as you said, the the, uh, short term might be an interesting idea. Long term, though, does it fundamentally start to cut away at those basic elements of our modern economy. Pretty healthy discussion on that. So let's roll to clip number four. The bank is committed to buying at least five billion of Canadian government bonds a week until the recovery is well underway. And these large-scale asset purchases, they're building up. And as they build up, they deliver stimulus through a process that is often called quantitative easing or QE. So we saw quantitative easing in the 2008 crash. This time we're also buying these various bank bonds and other uh, financial instruments to put finances into the marketplace so that there is that liquidity and that investment capital to not only keep the economy going, the various elements of our credit system flowing. Andrew, do you have any thoughts about uh, what uh, Governor Macklem is talking about? Yeah, so again, I had to kind of deep in my understanding of what this meant but i think so essentially i understand it as like when rates can't go any lower and we just talked about how negative i mean the bank of canada is guided it guided by um, inflation and therefore long-term economic growth so negative um, rates aren't sustainable for long-term economic growth so essentially they when rates can't go any lower they apply quantitative easing programs so essentially they're expanding the quantitative amount amount of money in the system or expanding it so that, that there's more money in the system i guess i did not explain that amazing but they're just putting more money in and expanding the reach i guess that it has by increasing their federal government debt um he said he's buying five billion they're buying five billion dollars a week so i think that ends up if COVID lasts another year, that'll be $250 billion of federal government debt the Bank of Canada has. But essentially, they're just expanding the amount of money in the economy by doing that so that the rates don't go negative, which I think is more suitable, like I said, for long-term economic growth. Deborah, do you have any thoughts about quantitative easing? Yeah, all that I understand it to be, um, like Andrea, I think did a good job of explaining, is the introduction of sort of new money into the pool of money that we have in society I guess into yeah so I mean I think of it and I I don't know and 
someone will correct me that knows way more if again like an ei or serb kind of thing kind of counts as that because it's the idea of of introducing new money but um we can think of it that way um maybe new money is not the right word because a lot of that money is from our taxes and it moves around but essentially government money is our money anyways but yeah i think it's all of these measures seem to be the same sort of with the same intention to make sure that things don't just shut down um that we're still kind of circulating our money people are still purchasing um habits aren't kind of wholly changing and so things that don't essentially implode or or also say like lose their value almost so by putting more money in there in the system it's it's easing everything and like you said deb like just you want to maintain that uh flow of credit and um purchasing and supply and demand and that's not possible if if you're losing money by sitting on your cash. So let's go into clip number five. Currently, we expect growth to resume in the third quarter. The economy will get an immediate boost as containment measures are lifted, people are called back to work, and households resume some of their normal activities. But it'll be important not to assume that these growth rates will continue beyond the reopening phase. What Governor Macklin is highlighting is the concept of, okay, we're going to reopen the economy. We're going through that process. Q3 will be where a lot of that growth and coming back to the before COVID times will be more and more, you know, really possible. But he also highlighted something fundamental, that it's going to be different. And it's not going to be a sharp, there's a conversation for about two weeks straight uh, uh, post-COVID was talking about, will we have a hockey stick economic growth curve? Will it be a W shape? Will it be a V shape? Basically what he's highlighting here is that growth as we reopen, it's not going to be a sharp uptick. It's going to be a long, consistent effort, COVID depending, specifically looking at the fall's possibility of having another COVID outbreak and uh, the situation to the south of us. So Deborah, what do you think? Yeah, I'm not one to make projections. And again, this is not my policy area of expertise, but I think it's probably safe to say that the third quarter will be the best growth rate um, based on like things are going essentially from like zero to maybe 60. And then, you know, in October, November, December, they're not likely to get all that different or they're not likely to increase in at that same rate. We're not going from zero to 60. We'd be going from like 60 to 100 if we want to think of it that way. Um, so I think what he said there made a lot of sense. Yeah, I think, I guess Alberta is one of the provinces that's sort of been opening a bit faster than others. I've been talking to friends in Ontario and they're still meeting in very small bubbles. I don't remember the latest numbers, but I know in Alberta we can meet in up to 200 socially distanced and that's not the case across the country. So I think it's helpful to see I know even since May, I've seen a lot more going on in the economy, friends going back to work. I went back to work myself. People are out on Friday nights and Saturdays and they're going to bars and they're, we're starting to see the economy sort of look normal and and life look normal. But yeah, my expectation would be that I guess into the winter when we might see rates go back up again and we don't know what's happening with schools opening and all all sorts of sort of dynamics. Um, But if people do start to gather um, more and more, again, I think it's safe to assume that we'll see rates increase a little bit more. So 
yeah, my thought is that what Tiff said made sense, and obviously he's the expert here. But yeah, I don't think the accelerated rate that we're going to see of growth in the third quarter will be sustained into the fourth. I think it's optimistic too, or maybe not optimistic, but realistic that uh, the Bank of Canada is more looking for sort of like a, maybe not a plateau, but a sort of yield of the downturn, because like Macklem said, the current framework at which we measure inflation and CPI isn't it's changed. It's completely changed. So there's no way that the framework that we measure stuff with now is going to do a quick uptick because we're living completely differently. And like Vincent said, it's more of a uh, foundational change almost than it is recovery. Like we have to almost sort of reinvent or kind of revisit how we, how we measure this stuff and what we place value on. Yeah. I I look at his statement there and, you know, thinking about it and, you know, going through it, he's in the most gentlest way possible. He's saying it's going to get worse before it gets worse. (laughs) And it's it's a very kind way of putting it. And he's, he's representing one of Canada's foremost institutions and one of those institutions that's, you know, highly respected around the world. Seems like he's taken to the task. He's newly appointed as of the previous month and he's taking it and he's showcasing his role in such a way that it's going to inspire confidence while also speaking to one of those fundamental problems that we're going to be facing moving forward into uh, the end of 2020, but also the beginnings of 2021. It's going to be with us and it's going to be with us for a little bit. Yeah. So that aside, we've reviewed five clips of the speech. What did you guys think? Like, what did you guys think about the speech? about his presentation, about our collaboration with Canadian clubs across the country to host him uh, for his first national address, his first major speaking engagement. What did you guys think? Well, I thought, again, I'm going to preface this with I am not an economist at all, but I, like I mentioned before, I, I think it was fantastic. I think he was cool, calm, and his new haircut looked great. Um, But aside from that, he didn't use any jargon. It was very, it was very uh, friendly. And, and like you said, Vincent, he basically in a really, really friendly way was saying, be prepared for it to get worse before it gets better. Um, And it really made me think about how like what I do, what I, what I purchase, what I spend my money on and how can I stimulate the economy a bit better. And then also looking into things further. And I have to say the Bank of Canada website is amazing. Like it explains everything again with no jargon, understand and digest. So I thought it was overall a fantastic collaboration. All of the Canadian clubs did a really great job of hosting that and submitting questions. And I thought it was really well-rounded and kind of addressed what the economy is going to be post-COVID. I thought it was a really hopeful balance of sort of, yeah, the hope and optimism, but then also here's where we're at and this is what's real. And obviously this is an unprecedented year and don't expect that to change, but here's how we'll sort of navigate it. And this is our strategy and we're going to readjust as it comes. And I think it, it instilled confidence, like we mentioned earlier. I think, Andrew, you touched on a really cool point there too, which is like, thinking about our individual consuming habits, I guess, in this time. I've definitely been looking at labels and um, this is a fun anecdote, but I was buying um, dumplings, like pre-made dumplings at the grocery store. And I saw a bag oh, nice. made in the US and made in Canada. And I was like, I'm gonna buy the Canadian yeah. one. 
So little things like that, I think, do make a difference. They were also, I think, a little bit cheaper, which makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I think considering um, sort of the role that each of us has, the duty and the honor, I guess, of being Canadian and, and thinking about how we can, um, as much as possible, try to be a part of, I guess, the the moving forward. I think he, he spoke, he, I really liked what he said at the very end. He talked about reopening to recuperation to recovery. Um, yeah. I think part of that process. Um, on the Canadian club side, yeah, I think it was really cool that, you know, different clubs from across the country came together. I know we were the sole Western representation, which is always nice. But yeah, it, it was cool to be a part of sort of his first address in this time that is very uncertain and yeah, like I said, unprecedented and to, yeah, be able to, I guess, offer something really valuable to our members and Canadian mm -hmm. by way of here's the, not a state of the union address, but sort of here's the state of the economy. Um, yeah. Here's where we're at and here's where we're going. Well, and I like too that it was the Canadian clubs that hosted it because as a member, being able to watch it and you already sort of have that, um, Canadian pride, I guess. And uh, like you said, Deborah, buying the Canadian dumplings, it's when you watch it, you're like, wow, like I'm going to be doing traveling within Canada this summer. What, how can I do that in an, in an economically responsible way? And also kind of promoting that to my friends and family. Like we have this amazing country here and I think we all have a duty to sort of grow the economy or help recover the economy a bit again. So I think it was nice to kind of have have the governor of the Bank of Canada use the Canadian clubs as a platform to speak on the economy because I think kind of makes everyone individually think about their actions and how we can better Canada. A thread that's through all these conversations is the issue of national institutions and, uh, you know, uh, specifically of the Canadian variety associated with government, but there's also non-government institutions. Mm -hmm. uh, and that are cross-national. One of the things I struggle with as uh, someone uh, who is really interested in the political process, how we champion new ideas in the Canadian context for both politics and economics, I look at it and I go, Mr. Macklin is focused on, he's just recently been appointed, he wants to make a national you know, address speak to the issues surrounding the Bank of Canada and where we're going to next as a country. Of the many national institutions to which he could speak, I'm of the mind that there's not actually that many. Hmm. Which groups have a national focus that talk about being Canadian and then actually celebrate that, but also be those, you know, very important places where you can actually showcase and share those fundamental ideas. And if, if it wasn't the Canadian club, where else would they have gone? <laughs> exactly. I think too, again, another common thread is we keep saying how friendly, <clears throat> sorry, and calm he was the whole time. And that's such a Canadian thing is that he, he really stated the issues we're going to be facing, but he sort of had this friendly Canadian way of communicating that, which is just so Canadian. <laughs> Deborah, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I, I think you guys have said everything there is to say. Yeah, uh, so we're coming to the end of the podcast. Um, how do we yeah. do the podcast? Thanks. Never end it, is what we do. Yeah, no. uh, Well, thank you all for listening. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you for our first conversation about the Canadian Club here on our podcast. 
If you have any issues, concerns, otherwise, CanadianClubCalgary.ca, where you can purchase a membership, sign up for email updates, and get connected with us on all of our social media platforms. We're giving a thumbs up. <laughs>